we are going to talk about God and politics today. Let's take a collective deep breath on the count of three. One, two, three. You guys, it's going to be okay. It doesn't matter what happens. Listen to me. It's going to be okay. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to have some interesting parables. Well, not really parables, just stories from Jesus' life. We're going to read a couple of those that are going to give an interesting perspective. We're going to talk about a really weird way that Christians win. And we're going to end with some hope. Does that sound good? And in the middle, of course, is going to be a large chunk of Paul. We can't forget Paul. We're going to have some Romans in there. So let's go ahead and get started on this. But before I do that, let me say that I have read Graham McKaig's sermon notes, and it was amazing. And if you guys were at Nichols last week to hear Graham McKaig speak, it was astounding. And there was a lot of information. And I've also read Pastor Cameron's sermon notes, and that was good too. I went in a different direction. So... I got to do what I like to do in going another direction. And I actually went back to the Old Testament a little bit because I want to talk about what was the context of God and government way back when the Bible was written in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What was their situation like? Because we talk about things now. What is the correct separation of church and state? What role should Christians have, if any, in politics? Does Scripture have a place in government? We're debating these things right now, but they had a context back in the day as well. So let's look at the Old Testament. When the Old Testament was written in the ancient Near East, what was it like between God and government? Well, surprise, kings and leaders back then frequently thought they were gods. If you go back to Egypt, and the Israelites spent some time in Egypt, those guys really believed they were the incarnation of the sun god. They called themselves creators and miracle workers. If you messed with Pharaoh... You were messing with the God. And not only did all the people believe it, Pharaoh believed it too. Is that an interesting relationship between God and government? Well, it wasn't just them. In Samaria, the ancient gods, or the ancient kings, also thought they were gods. Incarnations of deity. And everybody in the country treated them like that. This is the world in which the Old Testament was written. Now, in Egypt... The leaders were often called gods. The pharaohs were often called gods. And in Samaria too. But eventually they grew out of that. And in later Babylon, early Babylonian kings would still occasionally call themselves deities. Didn't have a problem with that. In later Babylon, they kind of grew out of that. and became passe, I guess. And they decided, well, I'm just specifically divinely favored and appointed by gods. Or a god specifically. Probably Marduk back in the day in Babylon. And I've been appointed and favored by him to do his will on earth. So even if the king wasn't saying, I'm a god, I'm divine, he had an authority that was supposedly given by a god. So you're still messing with a divine authority. Is that an interesting context for a relationship between God and government? We wouldn't be having this debate back then, would we, about separation of church and state? Zero separation. The state is a god. The leader is a god. Wow, interesting. Maybe that's why nobody thought it was so weird in Babylon when they made the big statue and he asked everybody to bow down to it. That's just what kings did. They thought they were divine. But as I said, they did eventually grow out of the whole saying they were gods thing. They became appointed by gods. You know, it went down on the arrogant scale maybe a little bit. But there was a resurgence. There was a resurgence of leaders thinking they were divine. Right about the time the New Testament was written. Isn't this a coincidence? 
suddenly, in the first century, especially in the later half of the first century, you had Roman emperors insisting they be worshipped. You had emperors like Nero, and especially Domitian, who came later and probably killed Paul, saying, I need you to call me Lord of the Earth. Or how about this present deity? Or Lord and God? He insisted on it. And guess what? If you wanted to be a part of a trade guild, or if you wanted to have a craft, or if you wanted to be a part of society, frequently, as a part of your work, your, your everyday life, even, let's say you were a stonemason, you'd get together with your stonemason buddies and do stonemason things, but you'd also offer incense and sacrifices to the emperor. It was just part of your civic duty. And you would offer that to him and offer it to the empire, and you would announce that he is... Lord of all, or Savior of the world, or this present deity, or something like that. And if you didn't do that, is it behaving up there? Excellent. If you didn't do that, that was really bad news. You could actually be killed for being a seditionist. You can read a book, The Lost Letters of Pergamum, and it's a fiction written by a historian about this time period. It's really gross to navigate. But they didn't argue about separation of church and state, did they? We had an emperor who thinks he's a god. Good grief. It's interesting to me that during the Old Testament and the New Testament, other places had leaders that thought they were divine. Isn't it interesting that despite the worst possible circumstances, God's people have always been vocal, invisible agents of God's kingdom? Astounding. Everywhere they went, they brought change. Everywhere God's people have gone, they shined the light in spite of the worst possible odds. And today, after doing research for this, I think we might be a little spoiled even getting to argue about is there a separation between church and state. At least Donald Trump is not saying he's the firstborn of Shamash, okay? Hillary Clinton, so far as I know, has not announced herself the incarnation of Ra. Nobody's heard that on any shady YouTube channel or anything. That's not, that's not a thing yet, right? Okay. So, listen, this is my point. It could get worse, huh? At least they're not claiming to be divine. So things are already much better than they've ever been before. So we can all take a deep breath. Ah, we can breathe out. We're, we're dealing with crazy humans, not crazy humans who think they're divine. So that is a step up. That's, that is good. Thank you. You're right. So let me talk about this separation of, of church and state thing, because we do talk about that a lot. And I was reading a book called How God Became King by N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright brings up a passage that people use sometimes to talk about how God has his place and the state has his place. Martin Luther talked about that. It's an old book, I believe, by Augustine, The City of God. talks about the heavenly city and the earthly city. And isn't there this separation? Here's the story. It's in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And people walk up to Jesus and they want to test him. And they say, is it lawful for us Jews to pay taxes to Caesar. This is Jesus' answer out of Mark 12. But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought one. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now we can look at that face value and he says there's a separation. 
Caesar, representing the government, has got some stuff and God's got some other stuff. But he's playing a little game here. First of all, he says, whose image is this? And he uses the word for graven image. Jews aren't supposed to have graven images. Okay? And he says, whose image in inscription is this? Well, according to N.T. Wright, the inscription declared the emperor as the son of God and the high priest. That's a bad inscription. Jews did not agree with that. So they probably think he's about to take the hard, zealous line, right? Get that garbage out of your pocket. No, you don't pay taxes. You shouldn't even be using that money. It's all of the devil. But he doesn't. He says, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Give it back. But render to God what is God's. In doing that, he's doing a couple things. He's saying, yes, pay taxes. Christians should actually be the best citizens ever, by the way. Can I get an amen? The government should want more and more Christians, not less and less. We should be the ones that spend the least time in jail and pay our taxes on time. The government should think, why can't we get more Christians around here so things can be easy? They even pick up after themselves. But I digress. He then says, render to gods the things that are gods. So he's denying the fact that Caesar is a god, even though it's on his coin. So he's not saying keep things separate. According to N.T. Wright, he's saying God trumps Caesar on all fronts. So give him what he says he owes you. Give him what he says you owe him. God trumps Caesar on all fronts. Interesting. Interesting. So how do we, how do we work that out? How do we live in the knowledge that Jesus is king, God trumps government, we win? In a very interesting way, we're going to read a large passage here. We do it, number one, by being subject to the government. Yay! Okay, remember the context. Paul is writing this in a time when the government thinks it's of God, and the emperor, the leader of the government, thinks he is a God. Okay? And yet, he writes this. Romans 13, 1 through 7. And we're going to pause in this from time to time. I'm going to key up my scripture that I'm going to read here out of John. Dual technology, I am, I am branching out. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur, incur judgment. Pause right there. He's saying things are rough. The emperor looks like he's nuts, but remember, he's there for a reason. God has reasons you don't know. God sets up authorities, so be subject to them. Do what he tells you. Listen to this lived out, okay? Jesus is on trial. He's before Pilate. Pilate walks into where Jesus is and says this in John 19. Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Don't you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's getting smart with Jesus. That's not good. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate tried to release him. Pilate says, don't you recognize my authority? And Jesus says, yeah, I recognize your authority. I see the authority behind you that gave you your authority. And if he didn't give it to you, you wouldn't have any. 
That's a strong stance. But look at what Jesus isn't doing. He isn't calling down 10,000 angels, is he? He isn't splitting the earth open and swallowing up the people that are wrongly accusing him of treason. He is subject to the authorities, even though he knows where that's about to go. Why would he do that? I'm going to, at this point, interject another verse. This is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Check this out. Verse 6 is where we'll start. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Excuse me. Not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for, for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. None of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom. Listen to this next line. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul's saying, we speak a wisdom that's not from this world, and the world doesn't get it. And if the world did get it, they sure wouldn't have killed Jesus. Do you know why? Because if Pilate understood that Jesus was about to win by losing, he would have let him go. Christians get ahead by letting other people go first. We win by losing. We go high by going low. We show authority by serving. It is truly an upside-down kingdom. And if you want to have political influence or any type of influence in this world, this is where we have to start. Be subject to the government like Jesus modeled. It's actually wisdom. And remember that we can win by losing. Let's continue. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Wow, even a bad ruler could be God's servant for good. What does that mean? We're not unpacking that right now. But hold that thought for later. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. And yes, that means a vehicle for capital punishment. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Oh, for because of this reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. President Obama calls me up and says, I want to have dinner with you. I am going to respectfully accept, respectfully go through all the rigmarole that is necessary to go into the White House, be on my best behavior, treat him with respect and dignity during dinner, respectfully leave, and talk about him respectfully when I get home, regardless of whether I agree with his policies or not. Because he's God's minister for my good, whether I am right, left, up, down, Republican, Democrat, progressive, regressive, consumer, conservative, libertarian, doesn't matter. Okay? Does not matter. The Bible says slander no one. We need to take that into consideration during the political agenda, during our political time, during this election cycle, but we need to live that out. That's another thing we have to do. Christians have to do that in order to be political God's way. 
But can we be political God's way for crying out loud? If that's how we win, if we really win by losing, doesn't that just mean give up? And the answer to that is no. It doesn't mean roll over. Actually, you can't roll over because you have an obligation. How are we doing? Good. Good? Just good. Thumbs up for people. Amen? Okay. We are salt and light to the world. Remember the Bible says that? City on a hill can't be hidden. You're supposed to do good works so people can glorify your Father in heaven. You're supposed to be noticed. We talked about this during our church series. Well, that means politically too. You can be salt and light politically. Listen to this quote. The church does not control the political powers, but it can, by its active witness, help them to discern and give form to their secular service. That is from one of my favorite books. It's called Stormfront, and I really recommend it. We don't control the powers. You know, bad things happened in the 1,500 years of Christendom when the church tried to do what the ancient pagan kings tried to do, and we tried to not separate at all church and government. Went really bad real quick because people are people. It's not because God is bad. It's because people can go real bad. We don't control that power. We influence it. We're salt and light to it. And yes, don't be afraid. Don't be cowed by people that tell you you can't do it. Don't listen to the people that tell you it's wrong. We can and we should legislate morality. And I'll tell you why. You can't avoid legislating morality. You only decide whose morality you're going to legislate. On an issue like abortion, no matter what they pick, they're legislating morality. They're saying this is right and this is wrong, and we're making it law. Euthanasia, this is right, this is wrong, we're making it, we're making it a law. Divorce, marriage. It's not wrong to influence the world with your Christian values and try to get morality legislated. Because as Christians, we believe that God is good and he wants the best for us. So if we get a culture to do things God's way, no, we're not going to save people by an act of the law. I'm never going to get Justin converted by passing a law. Justin's already saved. I'm sorry, I should have picked someone else. I wasn't sure. No, that would have been worse, actually. I'm glad I picked you. Not that there's anyone here I'm not sure of stepping out of the hot water and back into the sermon. It's still okay to legislate morality because if God's way is the best way, good is better than bad. Simple and true. We can go ahead and do that. Here's another thing. A democracy is different than an empire, isn't it? When Paul wrote this, the people didn't have a choice in who was going to be the emperor and how crazy he got. There were emperors that put their horses in the Senate. They went quite mad, and some of them were murdered by their closest associates because they knew how crazy they were. This is a democracy. David Guzik, who I love, he's a commentator on the Blue Letter Bible app, and everybody should get the Blue Letter Bible app. I haven't pushed that enough. I'm pushing it again. He's very pastoral, and he says this. In a democracy, we must understand that there is a sense in which we are the government, and we should not hesitate to help govern. And he's talking about voting. At least every four years, the country asks you to have a say in how it's run. The country is essentially asking you, Grant, in a few years when you're old enough, what's your opinion on this? It is right and good to give them your opinion. They're literally asking for it. Okay? So get out there and vote and don't feel bad about it. Is there a place for Christians in politics? Yes. Yes. They want your opinion. Give it to them. I would actually say this. 
go out there and influence. This is a quote, it's a larger quote from a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. I haven't gotten through all of it yet, but it looks awesome. And I wanted to share this quote with you guys. Wait for the second page. If you're reading it now, don't freak out, okay? Chris, this is the quote I was telling you about earlier. Where are you at? This is the one. Ecology, peace among people and nations, economic justice, racial equality, and refugees are all political issues that have to do with this world and are thus beyond the concerns of the Christian faith. Unless. (laughs) Unless we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. The kingdom does not evolve out of the politics or culture of this world. That's true. But the kingdom is on earth and thereby deeply concerned for the earth and all that happens to the people who live in it. Do you know God didn't tell you you, get a, you you have a get out of politics free card? None of us have it. I've lived most of my life thinking I had that in the faith. Saying things like, well, Jesus is king. I'm gonna, you know, I have a citizenship in heaven. All of that is true, and I'm actually misusing those things. I'm misapplying those truths by saying I don't have to worry about how my country is run. I need to be deeply involved. Jesus said to pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I've gotten political this year for the first time. I apologize. I'm not really sorry. Sorry, not sorry, as we say. It's Dan Jeffrey's fault. Dan happens to be here. Hi, Dan. He sent me a TED Talk, and he got me thinking. Darn you, Dan. Couldn't get out once I got in. It's all his fault. But we owe it to the world to be salt and light. You owe it to the world to be salt and light. This country is still asking you What do you think? What do you think? Who do you think should run the country? Answer them. We have an obligation for the good of the world to do that. And no matter what happens, we can relax because at least they're not claiming to be gods. (laughs) Amen? Yet. Who knows? It could happen. I've heard Trump is buying statues of himself. I don't like where that's going. (laughs) I'm sorry. I apologize. I wasn't going to mention the name, but... I feel like that was okay for some reason. (laughs) I apologize. All right, things to do. Seriously, guys, pray. I wish I could say that the Holy Spirit was going to speak so clearly to everyone in this room that we'd all immediately get a lightning flash in our mind, know who to vote for, go out Tuesday. We'd all have the same vote. It'd be a landslide victory. The kingdom would just come. Jesus would be so happy he'd just come down. I don't know why that isn't happening, but it's not going to happen. So pray about it. And after you pray and you come to a decision... The best that you can come to, go out and vote. Be salt and light to the world politically. No, we're not putting our hope in any man or woman to restore the world. No, we're not trying to get the nation saved through the government. Yes, we are trying to appoint the best possible leader. Yes, that's okay. And after you vote, do the third thing. Don't lose hope. No matter what happens, on Wednesday night, everyone who knows that Jesus is the King of heaven and earth should be able to go to sleep knowing that it's going to be all right. If you can't go to sleep knowing that ultimately it's going to be all right, I'm going to suggest that maybe you were putting too much hope in a party or a system or a person and not enough faith in the Lord. Okay? Be subject to whatever government comes out Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. And no matter what happens, we're going to remember this. Daniel prayed this in Babylon, captive. 
under a king that believed he was a divine agent of heaven. Except it was a complete lie and Daniel knew it. But Daniel's in captivity and he prays this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He changes times and seasons. Go out and vote Tuesday. Pray about it. Don't lose hope. Remember who's ultimately in charge. And if your party doesn't make it, remember that sometimes we win by losing. And humility is the most important way a Christian can have influence in this world. Give me a big hearty amen to end this. Thank you very much. Let's pray.